The scripture reading for this morning is from Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4. You'll hear this scripture in various forms throughout the day. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. She has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion and to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display God's glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And here are gospel from Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because she has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. I love when Jesus quotes the uh, Hebrew Bible and then uh, changes it a little bit for the situation. It makes me feel like I'm justified in a- adapting texts. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a like a scroll drop, you know. Yeah, Just there like, is a scroll drop. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we have now heard this text basically three different times this morning, mm-hmm. and every single time it's a little bit different. I'm wondering for you. What is the thing that jumps out at you the most or that you would draw the most attention to in the text, whatever version mm-hmm. we read? Yeah, I, um, I, I love this story and it's different versions. I love that Jesus is quoting something that people would have definitely known in their very beings. Isaiah comes from that tradition. I love that, you know, he does this in the synagogue of all places, which we can go into why that's a little bit shocking later or whatever, but um, what really stands out to me, and I was telling you this story earlier, but um, my mentor through ordination is Reverend Debbie Pitney, who's now retired, um, but I also call her mom too, like she kind of stepped into, you know, my mentor role early in my ministry, but Um, A number of years ago, I don't know, five or six years ago, there was a retreat for elders in our conference, United Methodist Ordained Elders. 
And it was actually a chance to share more deeply. Often speakers had been brought in, but this year they decided that our colleagues would tell about our call stories to one another. And they had chosen a handful of colleagues to do this. And one being Debbie Pitney. And she stood up and she started to sing a version of the Lucan text with its little twists in it. Um, And what Jesus had said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and saying this. And she then went on to explain that she had heard this song at camp when she was like a teenager. And in that moment, she knew that that's what she was called to do. And she held that through her, you know, 40 years of ministry before. Well, I mean, she's still in somewhat ministry past retirement, but throughout her career, if she ever questioned what her call was, she would hear this song. And it just, it, it struck me in such a different way. It really, I was like, that's it. That, that is what we are called to do. We are called to walk alongside the oppressed, to bring good news to, we are anointed for this. We are set apart. We are ordained, if you will. Um, but you know, not just professionally, but we as Christian peoples are ordained to, to do that. Like that, that is like the essence of what we're called to do. And I've really held on to that. So when I opened up this week's scripture, I was like, oh yeah, okay. Let's really get into that. And I, I know you have a similar story as well. Yeah. One of my mentors, uh, while I was being trained was the retired Bishop Judy Craig. And she had this text uh, in calligraphy on her wall at her home. Uh, but all of the names for God and all of the pronouns for God were she, her pronouns. And mm-hmm. those are the pronouns that I've always used. And so, but I had never made the connection between mm-hmm. myself and this text, actually. I always thought it was kind of like Jesus's job. This is him, his coming out story, right? Like he's coming out as the Messiah. And I had never put it together that, oh, that's something that is actually on, on me as well. And when I saw those, this text with reflective of myself, I felt the same thing that you're describing with Debbie, like, oh, this is actually who I'm supposed to be in the world. This is how we're all supposed to be in the world, regardless of how we're built or what identities we have. This is a universal vocation. And it's a, it was so comforting to me. This week we talk mm-hmm. about comfort again. Mm-hmm. It was so comforting to me because I felt as though I finally had a job description mm. for what it meant to be a Christian, which had always been pretty unclear mm-hmm. to me, actually. Even while I was in seminary, you know, it's so easy to get distracted by the technical pieces of what it means to, you know, become a pastor, but that never really sat right with me. Mm-hmm. And I needed to know who, how, what, and this, for some reason, I just, it unlocked a bunch of things for me. And mm-hmm. um, was that was very comforting to know, like, much like what you said about Debbie, when you yeah. run into questions about what you're supposed to do in the world as people of faith, as people who follow Jesus, this is a really important place to go. And it's an ancient place to go. He's drawing on old texts as well to get that instruction. And, and I feel very, that's very comforting to me to know that you can, you can hardly go wrong 
if this mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. way that you serve and the way that you comfort yeah. people. Although this text is not often used for comfort, no. which I found really interesting because it it's pretty radical in its call. I mean, like releasing captives, um, yeah. uh, recovery of sight, and however we want to take that, um, bringing good news to the oppressed. I mean, those are those are radical things. They're they're hard things. They they're not always comforting to people either, which is interesting as well. Well, and I'm sure not, not comforting to the people trying to do it, right? Because there's challenge to right? us. It's hard work, but also not comforting to all people who are watching it happen. Well, it's not going to be comforting to empire, right? In any which direction or people of power that might feel threatened in some way. I mean, Jesus, not everyone responds well to this message, even after this um, moment in time. In fact, yeah. people question this him pretty heavily. Him doing this makes people upset and angry. Yeah. It upsets mm-hmm. the apple cart. Yeah. yeah. And for the community of Isaiah, it might be comforting to the people around them as being an exiled people, an oppressed people, that, that this will be part of who they were created to be but I'm sure it's also not comforting to some that are like wait a second how do you think this is supposed to happen like we we are we are destroyed here people like how like just some words how is that supposed to be comforting um which is interesting to think about too it's not usually a comforting passage no the the question around you know hope comes up then for me how do you balance this assurance that that we have and the promises we continually rest on where God's spirit is saying through the prophets or in sometimes in person that we will have the kingdom of God here. It is here and it is happening and it will happen. And looking around and saying, I don't understand how you could possibly make that claim. We are, in a pandemic, there are terrible things happening all over the world. There are wildfires. There is terrible racism. I, I, my own household is under deep economic pressure. What I'm ill or my people are dying to look around as individuals or as a country now. And I'm sure as the, uh, the people then who were in exile and to hear God's spirit saying, (laughs) uh, you, they will build up the ancient ruins. You will raise up the former devastations. You will repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations when they're not mm-hmm. even in their home. Mm-hmm. They're not even in Jerusalem mm-hmm. again yet, right? Yeah. And yeah. It, that must have felt incredibly dislocating and upsetting, even to people who wanted it very badly. And I can imagine that perhaps it speaks more deeply to people who are willing to not live in returning to the new normal or not, not returning to normal. Let's yeah, put it that like way. Like the good old days, like how it yeah, was. Like it's nostalgia. not exactly as it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like people that uh, really are focused on the good things that were and returning back to that this may not be so comforting because it actually says we have to kind of reimagine the future in order to get to a place where um, captives are free and recovery is possible. And there is racial 
justice and repair, you know, reparations or apologies given to whole nations, um, things that we didn't have before. But I can imagine if you're like, I just want to get back to where we were, the normal that was pre-pandemic or whatever, which I can't even imagine anymore, to be completely honest. In month nine, I I know I'm already creating um, a version of history that's very like idealized. (laughs) The normal was idealized. But if I'm willing to like move towards something different, I think I can see this a little bit more. It's a little more comforting to say that the spirit is upon us. I mean, you've talked a little bit about how you grew up in a place where that, that was kind of key, right? There was destruction. And so how do you function within that? Is, is this comforting to people who yes. live in the Midwest in a destructive place? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the Rust Belt. So when I go home and visit family, uh, any town I go to where I've spent any amount of time growing up, Toledo, Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, Cleveland, those places that I love. Uh, well, I don't love Toledo, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. uh, but those places where I love and where my heart was formed, I look around at these, I mean, everyone lost their industry jobs. Everyone lost their steel making jobs and their, you know, brick making jobs. Everyone lost those jobs and those towns are completely devastated Mm. and the opioid crisis is just rocketing through Mm -hmm. the part of the country Mm -hmm. that I'm from and it's just looking around there I do wonder what does it even mean to rebuild this and and I think that what you're getting at is the answer really that we can't rebuild that we need to imagine a new way and that's the thing I hear Jesus saying is that in fact, yes, there, there will be recovery. There will be wholeness, Hmm. but it might not be the same wholeness that you had before. There's no promise that there will be a clone of the past in the future. And as we come out of the pandemic, I think you're right. We're going to have to all be Thank God for the ability to kind of spend time in this. I mean, I know that there've been terrible, terrible things during this time, but it does seem to sort of loosen the soil around Mm -hmm. what could be so that it's not just the, oh, well, remember when our church in the 1950s had 400 members and we had this, you know, amazing programming, blah, 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 and all these kids. No, that's not where we're headed. We're headed to something more interesting and now and new and God is doing a new thing. And when God does a new thing, it's always a truly new thing. It's never just a replicant of something else. Um, So I I love always about upending the world. It's always about turning it upside down and we don't quite know what to do with that. No, we don't. And I, I think we can't really always imagine the fullness of it. In fact, maybe because we're human, it's impossible for us to see, but to walk alongside and to do what you and I were talking about, like to, to accompany God in that, to see this calling that's in Isaiah 61 and in Luke four as ours gets us in the right job position to accompany. And then as things come forward, we can say yes. Well, because we know, yes, we say yes to this, but no to that. 
Um, Anything that doesn't do the things that are listed in these passages will not be good news. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, yeah. What is the good news in this? If it's a hard text. (laughs) I'm thinking through a couple of things. First of all, Jesus says in Luke that it had it it was being fulfilled at that time like they were watching the fulfillment of this playing out but he never says it's completed and hmm. which means that we also can be part of that fulfillment of what he calls us to be of what Isaiah calls us to be but more than that i think what i think the good news that speaks to me is that there is good news <laughs> that even in the midst of um i mean luke is writing after you know, the Romans have destroyed the temple and it feels pretty hopeless and it's a marginalized people. And so like, even in the midst of that, Jesus is saying there is good news to bring to the oppressed and Isaiah in the midst of exile, there is good news. So even when I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted this week. I was listening to a podcast, um, Brene Brown's podcast, where she was talking about how our brains are actually exhausted from reworking our expectations like there's some science around this and I'm exhausted and so um I think for me the good news is that there still is good news in that like it's it's coming it's always coming and always being fulfilled um I took our dogs for a walk earlier and you know I'm nine hours ahead of you all so um it's evening here as we speak and, you know, the sun sets at like three 30 in the afternoon and there's a lot of darkness. And so I'm walking them in the dark and there's a park near our house. And even in like this stark darkness outside right now and exhaustion, someone was playing silent night in the park. And it was just this moment of like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like that, That's beautiful. You know, it's and refreshing and, um, really hopeful, really full of that, that beautiful peace and hope that's available. So for me, that's, that's kind of what I'm, you know, focusing in on. And and what would that be for you, Jules? What are you seeing in that? Or what are you feeling? I think the good news is that when it comes down to it, it's not abstract. This Mm. is about people. Mm. The Isaiah text is, you know, about cities and and places uh, because of the importance of Jerusalem and especially the temple as the home of the spirit of God being recovered and safe. Mm -hmm. But in the Luke text, it's about it, it, it cuts down to just the people portion. Yeah. And I love that because I think that I the good news in there is that we can do it. We can be the good news to one another and therefore to our towns, to our cities, mm-hmm. to our nation. I was this week, in fact, just the day before yesterday, I got an email that said permit readiness letter from the city of Portland. And it w- turned out to be the one sentence I've been waiting to hear for six years while pastoring at Portsmouth Union Church, which is that our construction is going forward this month. And then I got a follow-up letter. Again, one line in one email, Albina Construction is ready to have a groundbreaking ceremony the week of December 21st. And just these tiny little statements 
underneath them have all of these people in relationship and all of this work happening and all of these folks that had like a dream and were willing to take risks and all of this waiting and we've done six advents with this project, waiting, 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 right? And to have it happen in Advent feels very beautiful to me. And it was just like that one, it's like, oh yeah, when we keep the people in mind, which is why all of this project started, right? It's because Mm -hmm. we have neighbors who need housing. Mm -hmm. When we keep the people in mind, impossible things can happen. That sounds like the story of Luke and the story in Isaiah. Mm. Um, The kingdom of God can come when you rely on that. And when you can imagine in your own places and ways that in fact, you can recover the city. You can in in fact recover sight to the blind and release to the captives. Mm. Uh, But it's this like, it looks small and it, there's just so much bigness behind it. So that's where, that's where I see good news in this passage is in those relationships and people in the ways that all of us can, can do that work together. Mm. Also, I'm just thankful for actual good news. Amen. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Literal good news in the midst of the good news Uh, and in the midst of all the hard news as well. So, well, we have questions for people and I want to ask those, um, this is a complicated text and there's a lot in it. We talked about how it's not comforting to everyone. So the question is, if, if this text is comforting to you personally, why, what is comforting in it? who are you in these passages? Uh, you know, we, when we do Lectio Divina, we're like, are you Jesus? Are you the person hearing it? Are you someone off the screen? Who are you in this passage? And what might you have to lose for this to be good news for someone else? That's a complicated question, mm. but is there something you would have to give up in order for good news like this to be true for another person? The, the second quest set of questions, those are kind of multi-part are where are the ruins in your community, in your church, on your block? Where do you see God at work already uh, or coming to the ready to repair the devastation of generations? And these might be ruins of the kind that Courtney and I talked about, but they might be, you know, sometimes our faith is in ruins. Sometimes our our families, uh, relationships are, Sometimes it's economic ruin. It could be so many things. So where are those ruins and where are you seeing God at work in those? So we'll send those questions out in various ways so you have access to them. But Court, before I sing the benediction, do you want to pray for us? I'd love to. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, uh, we come to you open to where you might be speaking to us and anointing us to bring good news to address the ruins, to figure out where we might fit and to be called again, even though we are exhausted to whatever you might have us see as good news in the world. Hold us in this waiting period, in this advent, as we continue to wait and yearn actively. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So hear these words of goodness, the benediction as we send ourselves out into the world uh, in all the safe ways that we can to release the captives and bring sight to the blind. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up God's countenance upon you and give you, give you, give you peace. Go now to love and serve the Lord in all of the ways that you can.